welcome to Arbitral Insights, a podcast series brought to you by our international arbitration practice lawyers here at Reed Smith. I'm Peter Rocha, Global Head of Reed Smith's international arbitration practice. I hope you enjoy the industry commentary, insights and anecdotes we share with you in the course of this series, wherever in the world you are. If you have any questions about any of the topics discussed, please do contact our speakers. And with that, let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of Arbitral Insights. I'm very happy to be uh, today with Yasmin Mohamed, who is the president of Paris Arbitration Week, as well as director of legal assets at Fortress Investment Group. Good morning, Yasmin. Good morning, Clément. And we are now today to discuss about the Paris Arbitration Week, which will take place in a couple of days. Uh, starting on Monday, 28th uh, March. And I think we thought it was quite nice to have Yasmin with, with us together uh, today to discuss about uh, the history, what is going on and what will uh, happen in, during the next edition of the Paris Arbitration Week and also what are the future plans. So let's get started. Uh, I guess my first question for you, Yasmin, I remember the call uh, when you called me years ago and you start explaining the, the idea you had of an arbitration week taking place in Paris. It seems quite a long time ago since then, a lot of, a lot of have happened. Can you maybe tell us how all this got started and what were the, the drivers at the time when you first launched this idea? So this year, we're on the sixth edition of Paris Arbitration Week. And it was some time before that that I gave you that call. So how did it all start? It all started because I had just returned from one of the very first editions of Hong Kong Arbitration Week. And I was extremely frustrated because I had seen what a great show Hong Kong had put together. And I knew just how rich and the um, capabilities and options and everything that Paris had to offer. And I was quite frustrated that Paris wasn't doing anything similar. And quite coincidentally, a couple of days after my return from Hong Kong, Paris Place de l'Arbitrage held its yearly cocktail. And I have known Annie Clément for many years. He's the first person who taught me how to at least try to draft a brief um, when I was an intern at Freshfields. And he was the creator, founder, and, and then president of Paris Place. And I just barged into him and I said, Ellie, why aren't we doing a Paris Arbitration Week? If there are any Arbitration Weeks anywhere, it should be Paris. And Ellie's response was, yeah, that's a great idea. Why don't you go ahead and do that? <laughs> so I was like, okay, well, <laughs> I'm not quite sure how to go about doing that, but okay. I like a challenge. Um, I'm result-oriented. And the methodology was the following. I knew that um, this is certainly not something I could, could pull off on my own and that I needed friends and allies and I needed the right capabilities on a team together. And so I started approaching a very small group of people that I knew quite well already um, that I had known in, in previous lives. Marie Danis, um, currently at Augustine de Vizy, who was then at Paris Place, and so she was a great link to the Paris Place institution. I then spoke to Jose Ferris, who was then the Deputy Secretary General at the ICC. We had been in, in law school um, together in, in New York and doing our LLMs, and we knew each other well. 
I, we liked each other, we respected each other. And I thought it was important to bring in the ICC into anything, into the project, because without the ICC, the Paris Arbitration Week didn't make any sense. And then I looked for somebody that was within the CFA, because thinking of rounding up the institutions and getting as much support from the, from the French institution as possible, then I reached out to you, Clément. You were at the time and that's how the first core group got constituted. And then obviously it grew um, with time and obviously the great needs that we had, but that was a core group. And basically the idea at that, at that point in time was to draw on from the capabilities of the existing French institutions to help, you know, put together and grow Paris Arbitration Week. And that seems like a really long time ago from that point in time where that first conversation that you mentioned we had came on, and that's seven years ago. And from the outset, the idea we, we had and that we implemented was to offer a platform and rather than centralizing everything, because as we can see from other sort of model, other arbitration weeks elsewhere, there, there are different models. Can you tell us a bit more about that, that sort of um, initial idea? So I think that's the magic sprinkle of Paris Arbitration Week, actually. And um, because Paris Arbitration Week is an idea that grew out of um, seeing how other arbitration weeks had organized themselves and how they were conducted, we had the benefit of other experiences. And so looking at what Dubai had done already once, what um, Hong Kong had done, it occurred to us, and, and that was that was something I really had real conviction about is that for Paris, what was really important was to create something where we created the structure and let all of the Parisian arbitration practitioners just fill it in, fill in the content. Because what's true about Paris and which is not true about many of the other arbitral um, centers in the world is that we have such a wealth and number and strength in arbitration practitioners that are from all over the world. In Paris, we don't we don't practice international arbitration like French people. We practice international arbitration like really international arbitration practitioners. There is very little uh, bridge between the litigators and the arbitration practitioners. There are obviously, but I think that's the main difference about Paris. And there's real depth and wealth of a people of, of a quite large population. And now we we know it even more than we did before because we track that through Paris Arbitration Week. So that was really the as, as I said earlier, it's really the magic sprinkle in the idea, in the very, very beginning we had, which is let us not take the role of full-on organizers and you know finding a venue and then saying who speaks at what and what are the topics and, and, and basically controlling the academic content. But let us take a step back, create the structure within which everybody else can come and create content and we can create content which is social which is, you know, the opening cocktail or which is other social events that have developed since, which is the cruise, the closing cocktail, and let everybody else put in the content. And and to be very honest with you, had we done it any differently, I am convinced that Paris Arbitration Week would simply not have the success that it has today. It has the success that it has today because everybody is free to create their own content within, you know, the very large boundaries of, talk, please talk about international arbitration and or international law or ADR. But within that very loose boundary, people can really do and talk about whatever they want. And that's the reason we have over 80 events organized in a week. 
because we're not controlling what people do. We're not controlling the timing. We're not controlling the formats. And, and that's what makes Paris Arbitration Week such a rich, has such a rich output of content. Um, one of the things that we haven't done so well to date, and which is really a, an area for improvement, is to manage to capture that content and give it, you know, life, you know, let it, you know, grow, let it be built on, let it be uh, discussed further. We have, we've been filming or asking our partners to film their events. Those are on the YouTube channel. So there is, there is a second or third life that's given to some of these events, but we still really haven't managed to find the right format in the right way in order to encapsulate the academic content for it to be able to, to continue to grow after Paris Arbitration Week. And any ideas are welcome, by the way. Thank you, Yasmin. And, and indeed, you, you mentioned the, the growing success uh, of uh, Paris Arbitration Week over the various editions. Maybe you can now tell us a bit more about this edition. I mean, we are very pleased to get back to sort of a normal format with uh, with in-person events, and that's really uh, the, the good news. Last year in 2021, we had to adapt, as we, we did also in 2020, obviously. So what's the menu? What uh, is going on? And uh, I mean, we are all very excited about the beginning of, of the week. So 2022, as you said, really marks the return to normality in the organization of the week. But I say normality, and, and that's not really true because two very significant events have happened. The first is COVID since um, 2020. It's completely changed the way that we think about the way we work and we think about the way we communicate and we think about the way we broadcast our knowledge, our information, and, and we share information. And like every other business area environment, I think COVID has really fundamentally changed the way international arbitration practitioners work. And it has had that same fundamental impact on Paris Arbitration Week. And at first, it was it was very complicated for us, as you recall, Clément, to, to find the right, the way to deal with it um, in the most appropriate way. And we were driven by one, one idea is that we cannot cancel, we have to adapt. I think that's just human nature. We were not going to die away quietly. We had to adapt. And that's why we, we completely changed the format in 2020 to go fully virtual. We were the first significant event to do that. And what we learned was, I mean, nowadays it's, it sounds boring to say that, but at the time it was astonishing. We learned that we had doubled the attendance at Paris Arbitration Week by doing that. By making Paris Arbitration Week fully virtual, we completely double the attendance. And, and when you think about it, it makes sense because so many people would love to attend various events, but either they can't make the trip, they can't afford the trip, or they can't make the full event, or even people based in Paris can't go to all of the events if they have to go from one, from one end of Paris to the other. So virtuality really enabled more people to join, to ask questions, to join the events. And, and we really took that away as a huge benefit, a, a very significant takeaway from COVID that we really needed to transpose onto the next year. So we learned definitely that what we have to do is to make sure um, and to incite as much as possible our partners to keep their events hybrid to have their full events, have their cocktail parties and everything that go along with that, but 
also to allow their events to be broadcasted online so that everybody can pitch in, share, and join in the learning and the knowledge of Paris Arbitration Week. Because that's what the week is also about. It's about also giving access to arbitration practitioners or aspiring practitioners globally access to you know the world's greatest experts because that's what's happening at Paris Arbitration Week. It's not just the Parisians, but there are a lot of Parisian experts, um, but there are also foreign ones um, that are coming from other other places in Europe, in the US. This year, unfortunately, probably not Asia, but hopefully next year again. And so we're also giving access to that. And we're giving access to that knowledge to people across the globe. And we're also just giving people the opportunity to meet in one place, to come now that we can meet again and to do that in, in Paris. And and so COVID has fundamentally changed the way that we think about Paris Arbitration Week and the role that Paris Arbitration Week also has. And we can't be 10 days away from Paris Arbitration Week now and, and not think about what's happening in Ukraine and what those events have reminded us of, which is the sheer importance of our industry as a peaceful method of dispute resolution, whether it's state to state or investment treaty arbitration, that enables disputes about territories, um, commercial disputes about oil and gas not to be resolved through military conflict. And I think that's something that we just have to remind ourselves constantly of the importance of upholding those values. And, and, And Paris Arbitration Week is incredibly proud to promote international arbitration, which is this very peaceful method of dispute resolution that is cognizant of different cultures and different ways of doing things, and to put who puts that on stage, you know, who has arbitrators from different cultures deciding on, on issues uh, with different applicable laws or public international law. And that's, I think, a significant element of 2022 as well, is to constantly remind ourselves of that, of the importance of this, of this method of dispute resolution and what it, you know, what it can accomplish if we get a, the appropriate airtime. I'm going to stop there because I've been blabbling on. Sorry, Clima. No, but that's actually very important what you are what you are just explaining, and thank you for that. Maybe my last question: In a couple of months, both of us will exit the Paris Arbitration Week Arbitration Week Organizing Committee. Uh, our mandate will will end, but obviously this is not the end of Pau, but uh, a, a new beginning. I mean, we have been joined by by great um, new team members over the years. How, how do you see Pau evolved over over time? What, what, do you have any sort of insight from how you you would see things over over time? So, if there's one thing that I'm incredibly proud of, and I think that we should be pr- incredibly proud of together, Kimo, is that I truly believe that what we have put together, what we, we managed to assemble, will endure will endure in time. And the reason why it will endure is that we have we have a structure with a transparent governance, with elections, you know, people with the drive to contribute and to work, to dedicate time, will be elected to the board. And those are the people that are going to take Paris Arbitration Week forward. I mean, it was really important to us when we when we put together this government that our mandates had to end because Um, Holding on to our seats was not going to be the way for Paris Arbitration Week to evolve and to and to better itself with time. You know, we had some good ideas and and I have no doubt that everybody that's going to come behind us are going to have even better ideas. And 
And that's really the only way I think you can create something that endures and, and, and goes beyond the individuals. You know, Paris Arbitration Week cannot be about me and you going forward. It's about Paris Arbitration Week. And so I think that's, I mean, that's the one thing I'm actually really proud of is that, you know, the day we give up our mandates, it's going to continue. It's going to endure. It's going to get better. It's going to get enriched by new ideas and new ways of thinking of things. And, and you know, I think what we what we managed to do is really step one of the evolution of Paris Arbitration Week, which is, you know, create it, put it together, you know, draw in the enthusiasm of the Parisian community and international community for Paris Arbitration Week, create a structure that has elections, governance, a budget, you know, a rolling account on which the organization committee can rely on in order to put into, into effect its ideas. But the next step is, you know, to take it to the next level, to properly use technology to make Paris Arbitration Week really accessible. You know, there are many things that I'm sure the people coming after us will do. And as we're nearing, you know, the end of our mandate, we're constantly saying, you know, you may want to think about this, or you may want to think about doing that. And, and they're going to have their own ideas. And I think it's actually really good and very important that we do leave because legacy is in these types of organizations, I don't think is a good thing. I think when your time is over, you need to go. And, um, you know, I'm proud that we're going, leaving, you know, a week with over 70 events, um, 80 events, 70 partners or 80 partners, I think this year, I lose count. So what better time to, you know, to leave than at the height of the party? I mean, sorry, I know the party's going to get even partier or even more fun. But as far as we're concerned, it's, you know, it's the height of the party. Thank you. Thank you, Yasmin. And, and this is really something I also share. I mean, the, the thing that we have done uh, as much as we can, and uh, that's now for, for friends to um, carry on. I will just take uh, the opportunity to mention then, I mean, very practically the events that Ruth Smith is organizing in, to, to conclude that, uh, that brief um, discussion. So please join us on Tuesday, 29 March, an event webinar on life science disputes. Uh, prescription or over the counter. That's how we have labeled it on, so on Tuesday, um, at uh, 2.30 uh, PM, um, Paris time. And then the next day on Wednesday, 30 March at, at noon, another virtual event on arbitration in Western and Northern Africa. And we'll discuss institutional perspectives and legal developments in the region. So thank you again for uh, listening. And I hope to uh, see you soon uh, and hopefully in Paris during the Paris Subscription Week. Thank you again, Yasmin. Thank you. Bye-bye. Arbitral Insights is a Reed Smith production. Our producer is Ali McArdle. For more information about Reed Smith's global international arbitration practice, email arbitralinsights at reedsmith.com. To learn about the ReadSmith Arbitration Pricing Calculator, a first-of-its-kind mobile app that forecasts the cost of arbitration around the world, search Arbitration Pricing Calculator on ReadSmith.com or download for free through the Apple and Google Play app stores. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, ReadSmith.com, and our social media accounts at ReadSmith LLP on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. This podcast is provided for educational purposes. It does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship, nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. 
Any views, opinions, or comments made by any external guest speaker are not to be attributed to Reed Smith LLP or its individual lawyers. All rights reserved.